Okay, this is Iron Sports. We're pleased to have Mike Lombardi, uh, Pro Personnel Director and General Manager of a number of teams, Cleveland, Philadelphia, Oakland, Denver, New England, um, among many positions. Uh, and he has a book out called Football Done Right, one of the best new football books I've ever read. Uh, Mike, thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. Thank you, Ira. I appreciate that. Very kind of you to say. So we're here on the anniversary of 9-11 and write a book about football and certainly you can maybe talk about a minute here about what football did during 9-11 or after 9-11 to bring the country together. Yeah, it was, you know, I can still remember the moment that it, we all saw it happen. We had just uh, won the opening game, big win in Kansas City and came back. And that morning, you know, I'm in my office and you see these towers on fire and you just don't know what to expect. And my initial reaction was we won't play football this weekend. And uh, we didn't. And I think the league learned from the Kennedy assassination in 63, that when things happen tragically to our country, we have to take a step back away from the sport we love and move on to something different. And, uh, you know, the sidelines of that year, probably the most emotional sidelines to see, young kids, their mothers who have lost lives in those towers and the rescuers who's, who were brave enough to go in those towers uh, to try to help people it was heartbreaking. It's still emotional when you think about it. When I walk on the boardwalk here at Ocean City, a lot of the, 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 uh, the schools, the steps, the, the chairs on the boardwalk uh, are dedicated to a lot of the people from 9-11. And talking about Ocean City, New Jersey, um, I grew, I, parents took me there as vacationing, and we used to stay at the Portacall Hotel. And one of my first memories was, I think it was four or five, I got separated from my parents, lost totally on the boardwalk, and the security officer found me. And he put me, it was like in, late in the summer, he put me in, the port, in his room or whatever, and I was sitting in front of a black and white TV watching an NFL preseason game. <laughs> and my parents found me. I'm like, weren't you scared? I go, no, I just want to be watching football. This is great. I'm watching football games. So it's sort of a linkage between... Ocean City, your hometown, and yeah. uh, football. I love it. I had a similar experience. My parents brought me to the, the Italian festival in September up in Philadelphia on 9th Street, the street Rocky ran down. And I wanted to watch Washington play Philadelphia because I was a huge Redskin fan at the time. And, you know, I, I literally ended up in somebody's living room and they let me sit there and watch it. Football football can, can unify everybody. I mean, we all have our teams, but we all have a love of the game. I love in your book, first of all, I love lists. So your book does it my way. You've been involved with all football. and you know, So people might say, oh, I might rank this one. But I love the list. But you start out talking about coaches. And I think you honored a lot of coaches like Colonel Earl Blake, uh, Clark Shaughnessy, Sid Gilman, some of these innovators that made the game we are the today, which is more, when it first came out, it was sort of like a rugby style game, but actually put the innovative offensive formations. Yeah, I mean, and, and you have to credit George Hallis for this, too, because, you know, he was such a dominant figure and he controlled so many people that had he said he didn't want football, he didn't want to throw it. I think it would have shut it down, but he was willing to be open minded. He was willing to to look at the game and do what was best for the game and find a way to do it. He did the same thing with the draft. I mean, the Giants and, and the and the and the Bears controlled the, the, all the free agents because they had the most money as relative. And yet when Burt Bell came to them to decide we need a draft, they were willing to accept it because it was for the good of the league. So, you know, I, I think that's really important. And the forward pass has obviously changed the game. And the rules that have gone on to it have changed the game. 
um, in your book, Football Done Right, you spend a, a good amount of time criticizing the Hall of Fame and the selection process, especially of coaches. You feel like that in the coaching aspect, they really are missing some of the better coaches and maybe perhaps to put some in that don't deserve so much to be in the Hall of Fame. Well, I, I don't want, you know, for the only person I think doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame is George Preston Marshall, you know, because of the what he the way he prohibited black players from coming into the league, I think is really an injustice to the league and to honor that man, I think is wrong, but everybody else I say belongs in there. But what I wanted to do is get a criteria. Like I think some of the writers that vote for the hall think it's easy to win regular season games. Like, I think it's really hard. I think it's really hard. You know, I've been in the room. I've done it. I think it's hard. The ball's going to bounce your way one way. And it's got to go your way another way. And if you win 200 regular season games and you're only one of nine people that have done that in your lifetime out of over 500, how do, and you're in that exclusive club and your win percentage is at 61% like Schottenheimer, how do you not get into the Hall of Fame? Like what keeps you out? Because you didn't win a, a Super Bowl? George Allen didn't win a Super Bowl. The, the contradictions, Ira, within the selection process is what I was attacking. I'm not attacking anybody's personality. I'm attacking the contradictions. And because it is so political, that's why contradictions survive. Because every, whoever can argue the loudest gets in. You know, Terrell Davis's career is too short, but he can get in. Sterling Sharp's career is too short. He can't get in. Right. And then you talk, I like when you rank the coaches, um, Paul Brown, number one, you're one of your mentors in terms of uh, your mentor T of Bill Belichick, you ranked his third Lombardi, second Vince Lombardi, who you're not related to everyone. That's the question you, you say in your book, they're not related to Vince Lombardi. Yeah. But, um, and down here in South Florida, Don Shula, number eight, and you gave some interesting stats. Dan Marino only played at 18 playoff games, and after the 85 Super Bowl, the next four years, this is Marino's time, didn't even make the playoffs. Um, it just, if boy, Shula had that early success in terms of winning the two Super Bowls in the undefeated season, maybe an eight would have been much higher if he would have just got a, one or two more Super Bowls under Marino. You know, I don't know how you, well, how about just get to the playoffs? You know, like he went four years without going to the playoffs. That's that, that, you know, like, you know, people say, well, you know, Brady carried, Brady's carried Belichick his whole career. Okay. If you want to say that, but let's talk history here. You know, Marino had the greatest winningest coach of all time on his sideline. And he, and he's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And he only, and he went four, four years without making the playoffs. So like, I, I don't think, I think it goes to the saying, we've got to take it. You've got to be able to, you've got to be able to balance it. And I guess the question I just want to say in terms of Belichick, so you have ranked him third. He has six titles, and you count the titles. You make sure you know people who won the titles before the Super Bowl, they're still titles. Just because they didn't they call it a Super Bowl, it's still an NFL title. Lombardi with five titles in nine years, and Paul Brown. If Belichick would ever, now this, I'm saying crazy stuff with Mac Jones, would ever win another one, does he have a way to get up to two or one in your book in terms of, of, of uh, or is he really sort of just stuck behind Lombardi and Brown? For the rest of I think career. he, I think he could. I mean, somebody who's a historian thinks I should have had Lombardi won. You know, I think we would not be here today if it wasn't for Brown. Brown, Brown truly is the Bill Gates of coaching. He developed the infrastructure. He developed the software. We would not have coaching as a profession without Brown. You know, and we would not have full coaches would be making ten million, twelve million, twenty million a year if it wasn't for Paul Brown. I mean, you know, he turned it into a science. And so I, and he was a great coach and he was a great developer of coaches. And that's why his tree is probably the longest that has the deepest roots. I mean, Shula 
which comes from the brown tree. Chuck Knoll really comes from the brown tree through Shula, but he also has Sid Gilman in him, too, because he was with Sid Gilman. Can you imagine that press box, Ira? How about that press box? Chuck Knoll upstairs with Al Davis sitting to his sitting to his right or left, and on the field is Sid Gilman, Joe Madro, and Jack Faulkner. That's a pretty powerful group. <laughs> when you mentioned how Paul Brown before the coaches initially were like a lot of times when the NFL started was like players they just came out yeah. and rolled the ball out but he actually created the idea where no we're going to coach full time where you're not going to go sell used cars in the off season you're going to be on the staff we're going to have preparation all those things that sort of you're right made it more of like the CEO that we're looking at today as opposed to just we're going to roll the ball out like a like it's a sandlot game yeah exactly and and take the and and, and teach the game differently understand you know and the innovation of the game encourage the innovation of the game i mean look he had the rotating guards when he didn't want the quarterback to call the play yeah and then and then you move into television about in terms of the growth in terms of football and you mentioned three people which and i was shocked i did not know this i cannot believe howard cosell is not in the hall of fame considering everything he did with monday night football and the halftime highlights and everything in terms of bringing the game and then you mentioned brett musburger for the pregame show and the fact that gamblers and everybody anybody who we, who we take for granted today is by the time the pregame shows we know everything but in those days old days we didn't know anything until half an hour an hour before the game that's all we got to know and of course john madden and how he brought the game in terms of listening game as the top announcers yeah, well, I think I think you know everybody knows Madden and everybody appreciates Madden impact and he had and he won seventy five percent of his games so he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame just for his coaching but he could have should have been in the Hall of Fame if he didn't coach right but these guys I mean do you realize that 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 uh, Cosell and Musburger never won a Pete Rozelle Award you think about that they never won a Pete Rozelle Award for uh, the sports for the journalist sportscaster of the year look. I don't know if anybody understands the power of what Cosell was able to do for the league. These franchises are selling for $9 billion to, or worth $9 billion today. You know, in 71, when they broadcast that game on Monday Night Football in Cleveland, and he came on to introduce America to Monday Night Football, there were more bowling leagues in the country than everywhere. There were people <laughs> I saw watching. that thing. You talked about how, how Monday Night Football killed bowling leagues. <laughs> They kill bowling leagues. I mean, I don't think we understand. We don't give it enough respect. And this is what the book is. The book's not, I don't want to offend anybody. And and if you're a Hall of Fame voter, I don't want to offend you. But I, I want to bring some clarity. That's why I say it's football done right. I want to honor, like, how is Cosell? This guy had, the, he had his own TV show at 1130 on Saturday night called Howard Cosell Saturday Night Live with Howard Cosell. He was bigger than life. He introduced Sinatra coming down in the garden. I mean, he, that's how big he was. Why was he that big? It wasn't because he was friends with Muhammad Ali. He was that big because of Monday Night Football. Right. And then you also mentioned in terms of Mossberger and the pregame shows. And, and I just think that aspect of the fact that how we spend so much time with fantasy and those things and, and to think back in those days. And you mentioned about how people didn't even get to know what the scores were. I mean, you couldn't even get the, <laughs> get the papers. You had to call some like phone number. There was a phone. Yeah. Line. yeah. I, I think that's a great story about how Macy started the, the, uh, the Santa hotline and they blew up the New York phone direct uh, systems because kids around Christmas were calling Macy's to tell Santa what they wanted. And then this guy decided to take that idea and turn it into 
and turn it into a, uh, a, a sports line. And where you called, it was 25 seconds, 25 cents a minute, and you got all the scores up to the minute. And the thing blew off. Why? Because Musburger was talking about gambling and the Jimmy the Greek and his influence on all of it. And then the uh, second part of the book, you focus on the I mean, football done right, which I just love this book. It just came out. You ordered Amazon, Barnes & Noble, everything. It's a great – now we're in football season. It's a perfect time for to read this book. These are top 100 players. And we'll just jump right to it in terms of how – I put the top seven. You put Munoz, who's the best offensive tackle at seven. Ronnie Lott, best defensive back at six. Jerry Rice at five. White at four. Reggie White at four. Jim Brown at three. Lawrence Taylor at two. And Tom Brady at one. In terms of your ranking of those one through seven, give us some of your reasoning. Well, a lot of it was positional based, right? You know, it's like, to me, I mean, you can't argue with Brady's success, his ability to, to change offenses and to fit within the system and build the culture. I mean, who changed the game more than Lawrence Taylor? You, you know, the blocking schemes that, the, you know, I mean, I can, you know, I tell this story all the time. Belichick made him a gunner in the book. And, you know, and that pissed every, that pissed off, uh, Parcells because then the Giants made Dexter Manley a gunner and all of a sudden now we got to block these big guys on the edge it became a problem <laughs> people don't realize Jim Brown was the fourth running back taken in that draft and he was listed as a fullback you know and this is a two-back era he just he was bigger physical better than everybody in the game and who could block Reggie White like did, is there one player that tilted the field more than Reggie White no you know, and I, I think you know maybe I have Rice too low but I think it's more of the receiver element to it Who's better than Jerry? I mean, Jerry's an incredible player. And one of my personal favorites is Ronnie Lott because Ronnie Lott was truly the heart and soul of the 49ers. He's really the part of how the, how the organization was able to build itself and transcend, transcend itself. And I think ultimately, you know, he could play any position on the field. And today his physicality would still be a problem for people, even though they wouldn't let him hit as hard as he did. <laughs> And then um, some of the current, some players that people might remember. Now, Dion, who had a problem with, he said, I need my stuff separate room for the Hall of Fame. You ranked Dion at 21. I think some people might say, whoa, why is Dion? He was the best uh, the cornerback we've ever seen. Why is he ranked 21? Shouldn't be a little higher? Well, I mean, look, I, you know, th- we're talking about elite, elite. I had him in the elite class. You know, I had him in the complete elite class. I think I had him at 20. And so, you know, I had Randy Moss at 21. I mean, you know, I can remember walking in Al Davis's office when I was getting ready to trade for Randy Moss. And I said, now we got the best receiver ever. And he said, you know, and he gave me a lecture on why Lance Allworth was by far the best receiver <laughs> that's ever going to play the game. So, you know, uh, I mean, look, I, I, who do you want? You want, you, would you rather have Dion or would you rather have Roger Stahlbeck? Would you rather have Barry Sanders? How about Otter Graham? I mean, you're, you're talking about an elite category, right? It's hard. No, but I give you credit for trying to do the list. And, and some of the quarterbacks, now this is where I think a lot of people were surprised. You had now United at eight, and then you had Montana at 12, which I think people thought Joe Montana, if, Brady, if people consider Joe Montana as the best player, Brady topped him, he should be a little higher. Then you had Peyton Manning at 13, Roger Staubach at 15, which I think surprises people because then you jump from modern-day players to Elway at 43, Rogers at 46, and, uh, and Farb at 55. So that was, the, I guess, I guess the question would be, Staubach is so much further ahead of, of L.A. Rodgers and Favre. Well, he was just different, you know, and he was able to win. He had a shorter career than those guys, right? And, you know, and they didn't protect the quarterback. He got hit with so many concussions. So I think that really kind of limited him. But he was, to me, 
I believe he was part of a way that that was allowed Brady to win Super Bowls. The Patriot way goes back to Roger Staubach, and I write about that in the book, too. It connects the dots. And I think he was an underappreciated great, great player and because then he, had to do, he had to do service in the country. You know, he went away for four years. And then I think down here in South Florida, I think a lot of people are surprised that you have now, remember, I give the numbers, 43 LA, 46 Rogers, 55 Favre, and then 77 Marino. I guess, you know, that's the frustration of not being able to win the Super Bowl in terms of being at 77 and not being in the, in the 40s at least, or even at 13 where you had Peyton Manning. You know, I, I think I think I'm a Dan Marino fan. I love him. I probably if he, you had asked me besides Montana who would be the favorite quarterback uh, that I I mean Brady Montana. I would I, I would watch those two guys practice. If there was a guy that I never watched practice, I would want to. It would have to be it would have to be Dan. But you know, you with the one Super Bowl and you're this talented, right? And he should have gotten it away more. And it goes back to how do you build a team around the guy? I I love him. You know, and I don't. I, I hope I'm not disrespecting him when he's one of the top 100 players in the game <laughs> no. of all time. You know, so you just have to make a list and you make choices. But I have great respect for him. But the fact is, he went to one Super Bowl. He went four years without making a playoffs. How do you defend that? And I know you're a historian, so it's great to have you on to talk about this one player who everyone brings up about when I talk to people with historians, Otto Graham. You had Otto Graham 17th. No one we know, no one's ever seen Otto Graham play. But talk about his greatness and why everybody considers him, you know, usually one of the top five or six quarterbacks of all time. Because he won. I mean, winning matters, right? I mean, he won. He was able to, you know, the story I tell in the book about Otto, I don't know, it, 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 about Billy, Billy D. Corvante, about he was the Michael Jordan of Chicago. This, this young high school player who played at the same time as Otto Graham was the, the star. He was the star of Chicago football. And he would draw more than 120,000 people came out to watch his final high school game, right? And Otto was playing over at the local high school, and he went to Northwestern on a basketball scholarship. And so when he went there, he was throwing the ball in the quad, and Pappy Waldorf saw him throw it and made him a quarterback. And here's the guy that goes on to, you know, four-time champion, you know, three-time MVP, I mean, all decade, you know, all 10-year career, 126 games played. You know, just his numbers were just incredible, and he won. I mean, he won championships. I mean, the guy never lost. How do you defend that? So and one player on the list um, that is not on the list, and maybe I missed it because I, 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 I was marking that when I was reading, but Patrick Mahomes, I think a lot of people are saying, I know his career is early. I know he's young. But where do you see him at the end? You know, where do you see him? When is he going to break the top 100 for the to be on well, the list? I mean, I think he'll age. But when I wrote the book, he had only won one. And so I didn't want to get into a projection business in terms of project some other players that I think could be Hall of Famers. So I wanted to stay, lead that away. Obviously, if he continues to play at the level he's playing, along with Andy Reid, who will probably break into the top 10 coaches of all time, too, at some point, when you revisit this book, because they age well. You know, I, I think Gronk is a guy that I probably graded too low that's going to age really well as it goes forward. And, and I'm a huge Steeler fan. I've been to a zillion Steeler games all over, and I love the fact that you recognize Mean Joe Green at number nine. You think he was, the, you know, the rock of the whole what happened with the Steelers, and that's tremendous. And you talk about the draft, about the Swan Stallworth, and going through the history of the Steelers draft. So that was great, and, and you honor Noel. But Bradshaw's not in the top 100, and he won four Super Bowls. So a lot of Steelers fans have questions about that. 
I, and I have, you know, it's hard, you, you know, it's hard to ignore him, you know, and, and like he said, he called his own place, he did his own thing, you know, but the deep, you know, sometimes we're the quarterbacks are the beneficiaries of the team around them. And I'm not saying that, that Bradshaw didn't really do what he did. He was tremendous, but like if Marino would have had the Steelers defense, how many titles would he have won? Right. Right. So it's always hard. It, you know, this is not an easy thing. And, and I, I think the one player that I probably, I, in retrospect, when I look at this book, the one player I think to me uh, is Steve Van Buren. I probably needed to put him in the top 100 and I didn't. I probably feel badly about that. <laughs> That's great. Well, you're probably going to write another supplement to this. So when the paperback comes out, you can change it anything you want. But yeah. uh, Mike, Mike, I'm so ha- appreciative that you came on the, your book, Football Done Right. As I said, I read it over. I read it last week. And then just it just was a perfect lead into the season. And I love lists. So if people are into the list and the dating. And, you know, there's no right or wrong answer. You just read it. So it's great. And also, I love the fact I think people have to learn about the history of the NFL. We just turn the game on. We see the lights. We see the 50,000, 60,000 fans of the stadium. But don't realize what some of these coaches and the older players that did to build the league what it is today. Yeah, I know, and I and I hope this book brings some of that to the front and allows people to truly understand that we're very fortunate for what the people before us did. That's a sense of belonging. But I, I think the league needs to do a better job. I think the league needs to give titles to these awards. If you're the coach of the year, you should be the Paul Brown coach of the year. If you go to the combine, you should be going to the Al Davis combine. You know, you should, we should honor these people from the past. And I think that's our job as someone who remembers the past to talk about that. I just had Tim Frank, who's the vice president of communications at the NBA on. And that's what, if you notice with the NBA, they're doing that. They've now put every award is now named after, you know, bringing other, the players, the bird and magic and stuff. So they are doing the the NBA and silver has made it a a priority to name their awards after their all-time greats. Exactly what you just had suggested. Yeah, and I think that's really important. I think we have to do that. And if we don't, then you know, then it, then we're not, you know, we're not, we, we we're not creating a sense of belonging. And I think that's really important. So, all right, Mike, thanks so much for coming on. Enjoy the another the week, seventeen more weeks of football. But uh, clearly, I suggest this book, great book. And thanks again for coming on Iron Sports. Thank you so much, Ira. I really appreciate you.